Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello, Meg here, and you're listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan, a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. It is Friday, and Canada has just won gold via a wild penalty kick shootout with Sweden. Steph Young and I are here to discuss the gold medal game, some thoughts on the U.S. Women's National Team and what comes next, plus early reflections on the tournament as a whole. Before we get into it, subscribe to The Athletic for all of our women's soccer coverage and beyond. There's always a deal for you at theathletic.com slash full time. All right, we have gold medalists. Steph is already smiling. <laughs> which is not captured in podcast form. She is now displaying the badge of Canada soccer. So we have one very happy podcaster. We have one who was a neutral slash rooting for Canada. Um, a lot of very stressed text messages happened this morning in various group chats. So, Steph, I will just honestly cede the floor to you since I feel like this is your, your time to shine. I'm just looking at the notes I was taking on this game in case I had to do any kind of write-up for it, and they just get worse and worse and worse and worse until extra time. It's like barely, it's mostly caps. It's just like, and then I have written in all caps, penalties, and then obviously like post, scores, saved, scored, bar, saved, (laughs) Sayer goes high. It was a real, it was a real emotional roller coaster. I mean... Sweden looked very strong first half. I think Canada bounced back in the second half. And then extra time was just kind of nervy across the board. <laughs> and then saw a lot of commentary from really, honestly, neutral people about just kind of the quality of that shootout. But mm-hmm. it was mm, uh, it was a ride. <laughs> it was a ride. Oh. I did a lot of yelling. The, the penalty let Canada get back in it. Yes. They were... Going down one, chasing the game like that was going to be a tough ask for them because they weren't looking super bright on attack. They had like one outlet, and that was Nichelle Prince. And she she did look good when they managed to go forward. Um, and, we, you know, if they could play the quick direct ball, they were not solving Sweden's midfield at all. Sweden, I'll be real, they honestly didn't look like they were trying in the midfield and they were still controlling it um they they were just bossing it i know they were trying they were trying really hard and they were all really tired but you know when you're watching and it's like oh they clearly have the better midfield here yes canada's not gonna be able to play through that and so it's like they needed to go more direct maybe go long more they weren't connecting passes through the midfield either like possession was not great but then you looked at the stats canada was winning the battles game and a lot of times, possession, passes, whatever, don't tell the story as well as who's winning the battles 
the the tackles and the turnovers and stuff. So Canada was winning there, and I think that's kind of combined with you know a little bit of of bad luck to Sweden to get a, a VAR, a penalty call against them. Correct call, by the way, I thought. Now yeah. here we are. I just... I mean, there were a lot of moments that looked like they were going to be momentum swings that didn't actually then turn out to be momentum swings. And I think about Lena Hertig's two headers, right? And mm-hmm. how those could have played out. And then also in that really like final minute of the actual 90 minutes of all stoppage time where they got the ball in and I'm I'm already honestly forgetting who got that cross in Lyon maybe but like it literally went through everyone in the box mm-hmm. and that was where I was yelling very very loudly just kind of like <laughs> okay all right I think it was Ashley Lawrence yeah she made this beautiful run into space and she just cut it back right through like the perfect position for somebody right. to just tap it in yes and then that after the penalty, Canada had this like little three-minute burst where yeah. they looked like, oh, maybe they'll get the second and put the game away, but they didn't. <laughs> and then in the 118th minute, that extra time, there was this ball that looked like it was going to go in. It was like some kind of garbage ball that popped out and it was going to go in, and it didn't. And it was a repeat of the 2012 bronze medal game, I think, of, of Canada-France, where France could not they could not they could have paid a million francs and they would not have been able to buy a goal against Canada and that was kind of the same thing here yeah I mean that was when I I'm pretty sure I made the joke about Canada actually just stealing Gotham's force field against goal right like I would be I would be very curious to look at the xg between these two teams and like what the the actual like plot is because oh boy Oh boy, what a ride. What a ride well, it was. Well, they said uh, Sweden hadn't had like an actual shot on goal throughout the second half or something, so it's not like Sweden was putting it together right. either. The game felt open, but like neither team was actually generating a real chance, and I want to give Canada credit. It wasn't all that Sweden had... <laughs> I'm so sorry. They had the bottle job to end all bottle jobs Yeah, in this one. Um but Canada had a plan. They stuck to it. Bev Priestman saw what she had to work with and she maximized that. Canada's defensive line, probably one of the best in this tournament. Um, I mean, I think so. that these were two of the best, if not the two best head coaches that we saw through the tournament in terms of like actually making adjustments, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it was a very interesting matchup in terms of both teams trying to figure out like okay how do you unlock and Sweden looked to be more promising in the first mm-hmm. half and then I think that Bev Priestman did like the adjustments that she made even in game they all pretty much worked like maybe not perfectly but I you know full crops props to, to Bev Priestman <laughs> winning <laughs> like if you want to talk about quite a story Bev Priestman is absolutely up there with the rest of this team and the players themselves tactically mentally Canada looked just mentally strong which is absolutely not a dig at any other team it's a testament to like whatever sports psych work that they did Mm -hmm. with the team to get them like oh we're one down or like oh we're not winning or oh we're going to penalties and for them to just like be able to roll with it yes I also think that there is, again, you know, we've talked about this before, but, like, there is 
something to that works for Canada in the way that they write these narratives around what they're working this this common purpose that they have and here obviously you know you hear the catchphrases over and over again but I think that there is real power in them to Canada I think you need other parts to actually like finally make that leap right because I think we've seen this with Canada going back to like the John Herdman days and before so you need and Christine Sinclair spoke about this in the post game of just like she missed the first camp with Bev Priestman and then walked in and said, there's something different now about this team under Bev Priestman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think you combine that with, we have to change the color of the metal, right? There's a common purpose, but now there's also, I don't, mm-hmm. it's like the last door finally got unlocked. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about it before, but I do think Bev Priestman did a good job building off of the work her predecessors have done. Um, which once again, absolutely not discrediting Bev Priestman because it was still work. Mm-hmm. She still had to see, like, figure shit out on her own and be like, "What do I have to work with here?" But like in terms of expanded player pool, um, the beginning of some of the mental work that John Herdman started with the team after 2011, I think she was like, "Okay, I see. You know, I see you've got kind of the ball rolling in some of these areas, but I'm gonna really refine it." And she did. And here they are. (laughs) Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Um, Before we move on to some of the other things that I would definitely like to discuss, I do want to state my sheer annoyance that it was essentially impossible to watch the full metal presentation basically in any country it seemed like no one no one was very interested in doing this anywhere apparently but you know there was the scramble to figure out okay well it's obviously not going to be on usa for us here in the u.s right okay well now it's on universo uh do people get this channel can you stream it online? Like, yes, if you have cable authentication. But then they cut after the bronze medals happen for the U.S. Women's National Team. It's like, you are depriving me of my constitutional right to see Christine Sinclair get a gold medal. Apparently, uh, CBC didn't even broadcast the Yeah, it was on the ceremony. app, yeah. Where, so I guess that's like equal opportunity. <laughs> it wasn't, they didn't just play the Canadians. They yeah. just didn't play anybody. Right. Whereas at NBC was like, Americans getting bronzes and nobody else was there. Bye. Yeah. And goodbye. And yeah. the other part too, and, and, you know, hopefully we can have our mutual friend Shireen hop on here, but her immediate point was just, okay, you are going to have so much attention on you right now, right? Mm-hmm. You are going to have so much attention. 
Why can I not buy a t-shirt? Why can I not do this? Why can, and it's, and it, again, these are things where we're looking at it from our viewpoint and it feels very easy, but I super, super want to know how much money was left on the table. There's going to be zero way to actually calculate how many people would have otherwise bought a jersey or a t-shirt or something like gold medal winner, you know, like some sort of Uh celebratory gear. I think it's important to note that that's the, the gold the Olympic shirt that mm-hmm. Canada soccer posted. It's a Nike shirt, right? So yep. I'm betting like that's Nike being like, let's let's get this bread. Canada soccer, um, they're almost sold out of Christine Sinclair jerseys throughout this tournament. Like there's only I think small and extra small adult sizes left that I could see in the um, the fitted cut. Mm-hmm. How do you not, at the very least, have your biggest, iconic, most internationally respected players' jerseys stocked up throughout this tournament? The other thing is no international shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like feel like that is a pointed statement from one person speaking on this podcast. <laughs> I. I'm so fortunate in that I have friends in Canada. This is a dance that I've done before where I ask a friend in Canada who I trust, like, hey, can I send this to your apartment, friend? I'll pay you for the shipping right. you have to do yep. to freaking... To be fair, it's a two-way street. Like, I, I feel like we've both probably done it for people in Canada who want merch from here that is wildly expensive to ship to Canada. Maybe, yeah, but the thing is, at least... If you order a USA jersey, the they probably I think they do ship to Canada. They do they ship, ship internationally. It's, just, it's wildly expensive, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Or like if you order an NWSL jersey from Canada, you can get one. Whereas with Canada, it's like the best merch I've ever gotten probably is I had to go to Canada <laughs> in 2015. Yeah. And I'm, while I was there, I was like I better buy all the stuff yeah. that I can find while I'm here and then, you know. Yeah. Because they do have a deal with Fanatics, so like there is a little bit of merchandise on the Fanatics website that you can order, but it's like that weird Fanatics merch where it's like designs that don't actually resemble anything that the team wears. So like they have some older jerseys, they have a couple hats with the logo, like they have a point. But like if you're if you're looking for merch following a gold <laughs> medal winning performance, what you're probably looking for is something player specific something that the team is wearing right and right. that is not really what you're finding right now but it's not just Sinclair they're probably leaving huge amounts of money on the table Quinn yep you know yep uh Steph LeBay Ashley Lawrence uh, Jesse yeah. Fleming Ashley Lawrence yep. there were a lot of Canadian players who came up big for the team and whose names were like really I feel like in at least the cultural consciousness around this tournament and the fact that you can't Canada Soccer has jerseys for the men. I saw them available on their site where it's just like a really nice black shirt with the name and number on the back. I couldn't find anything for the women. What's the deal? Your women are actually in an international competition right the fuck now. (laughs) Where's my (laughs) jerseys, Canada? Yeah. You know, the joys of being a women's soccer supporter. Um, All right, let's, let's flip... I, I we will see if we can get Shireen into this podcast for some real Canada um, expertise. But in terms of overall tournament takeaways, um, I mean, I just filed a story today kind of about what's next for the U.S. Women's National Team, right? Like, obviously, there is the American perspective at play here. But from a overall tournament 
perspective, beyond the fact that this was the strangest <laughs> Olympics tournament ever, what are your main thoughts as we are now kind of on the last leg of covering Tokyo 2020? The fact that we even call it Tokyo 2020, weird. <laughs> Um, I'm looking at the elimination stages. I think people could have called Sweden, United States in the top four. Canada, Australia kind of surprised us. Maybe that's shame on me, but those are two teams that grew into the tournament. Uh, teams that did not grow into tournament, Netherlands, Great Britain, Brazil, all three teams that we'd been like, they're probably contenders for semifinals, you know, eliminated in quarters. So... I also, it's really sad seeing New Zealand dead last. Yeah. To be fair, I mean, I do think that, you know, for all the discussion that we had about teams coming into this tournament, what kind of preparations they had or didn't have, obviously New Zealand was in one of the toughest positions coming into this tournament. And I think everyone knew it was going to be a very big uphill climb. They have not, I mean, 2019 was not a great performance for them either, but you just really have to hope that now with the pressure of co-hosting a World Cup that there is going to be like a real two-year project ahead of them. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of tournament organization, um, you know, near the end of the tournament, I, th I think people were rightfully giving shout outs to the, the Japanese staff on the ground who were tasked with a, a really difficult job and a really difficult situation. Um, there were some snafus on our end just because having to last minute arrange remote mm -hmm. stuff. And I'm not saying it's all on the, the Japan and Olympic end either. Like U.S. soccer had some snafus in there when we were switching over from like one post-game system to the other with no warning. You're seeing a little bit behind the curtain right now. Just <laughs> but, but overall, like as I'm reflecting, maybe in hindsight, you know, it'll feel easier maybe getting a good night's sleep is also like <laughs> completely altered. Yeah. I, I just, I keep trying to put myself in like kind of the step back space of, you know, all right, bigger picture. What does this stuff really mean? And I think there's obviously going to be from a, from a U.S. point of view, a lot of frustration, a lot of like, we have to get to the next thing now, right? Like the mm -hmm. clock is on already. <laughs> it's Friday. Mm -hmm. We should be getting to work and we are going to be forced to, to kind of be in, what I'm going to call liminal space in my, my article today, but we are in this kind of transitory period where we're not quite one thing and we're not quite another yet. And that mm -hmm. I think is actually going to, it's going to be frustrating, but also potentially productive. <laughs> I would like to hope, right? Like we're not going to know definitively for a while. Like we're also not really going to know if uh, the, the two big questions I think coming out of this tournament for the U S women's national team is okay. What's next. And also like, are we done, right? Like, are we done being the team? And I think those qu questions also intersect with each other in interesting ways. But I also don't think that there's any shame in saying, like, maybe we're not the team anymore, but that doesn't mean that there's been some sort of, like, loss here. Like, other people's gain do not need to be the loss of the U.S. women's national team. 
Yeah, I heard your NPR interview, <laughs> and it was it was some good points made. <laughs> I mean, I also just uh, was really glad that I got to mention Katerina Macario and Mitch Burst by name on NPR. Oh, yeah. Like that was a real. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah. hello, let me, if we're going to, if we're going to do the thing where we immediately turn our attention to new players, which I think I get the impulse, mm. but I also think that there's going to be a lot of shifting of expectations from a fan point of view as well. Because again, we've spent a lot of time with these players for a long time, right? I mean, some of them have been around since 2008, but also, you know, you think about this era of the U.S. Women's National Team and you go back to 2011, Mm-hmm. And we have kind of essentially had this decade of the concept and I- the identity of the U.S. Women's National Team really kind of being a cohesive thing, I think, in our consciousness. So we're going to have to kind of ask some questions to ourselves about how we think about this team. I think that's fair. It's going to be an adjustment period. People don't like change, though. So I think the critiques... I I just remember how down in the dumps everybody felt in that, like, 08 to 11 period, I want to say. Mm-hmm. The team, to be fair, was not performing, but they were also adjusting through, like, a growth period. Um, I feel like that's when they were really... That was the last big end of an era changeover as well when the last of the 99ers were kind of had finally trickled out of the team maybe we're seeing the same thing here I think that that is kind of fair but also I don't know I think that there is a productive nature to this time that the team can actually embrace where we do actually get to say like let's look at what some of these players have left and what has been built and then also what isn't productive for this team anymore and what can be left behind mm-hmm. oh change should be an opportunity yeah. you should always see it as an opportunity this is a great opportunity it's like i always say with when your team underperforms it's a signal to you to invest more mm-hmm. so this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Speaking of investment, I do want to circle back around to Canada because I thought Christine Sinclair used her moment well in the post game to say... Hey, you know, if one gold medal, three Olympic medals overall does not get someone to invest in a professional league or at least some professional teams for women's soccer, then basically what will, right? Like Mm -hmm. someone needs to step up. Canada needs to step up. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was, I knew it was kind of coming, right? I think everybody knew that there was going to be at least one like pointed like, hello, who's paying attention here? What are we doing? Mm -hmm. Is it time? Is it time? Yeah. I think... (laughs) Sink was already dying on the inside, being asked <laughs> questions about the gold. And I'm like, well, you did it to yourself. <laughs> That's what you get for winning a gold medal. You can, yeah, you exactly. Can, you can suffer. She tried desperately to drag every single answer to her teammates. She's like, the team, the group, my teammates, what a great bunch of other <laughs> players, not me. And it's like, come on, you know the deal. But 
she certainly is someone who I think has done some reconciling where she's like, I understand the position that I have and I understand the power that I hold and I understand where I fit into the landscape. Um, even though I hate it, it means like I have responsibility to use it. Yeah. I think Diana Matheson is gonna, she, when she retired, she talked to me about, you know, her plans where she's going to go get a business degree. She's going to, she said she was going to bop around Europe getting experience. She was a little vague about it. And then I think Diana Matheson is going to be like, sink, whether you're retired or not. (laughs) Hello, would you like to be my partner in crime? Right. Would you like to be the spokesperson for the development of all women's soccer in Canada? Meanwhile, I'm sure just some additional dying on the inside, but Mm -hmm. all right. I think just in terms of wrapping up these these episodes, we have lived through quite the tournament, quite the sleep schedule, um, a lot. I mean, it, it is really funny to think about how even like a week ago, we were kind of just screaming about an absurd amount of goals <laughs> that were happening across the group stage, right? But in terms of maybe favorite, favorite moment of the Olympics that is not Canada winning gold, like... Oh. That's a very... I know that that is moment number one. What is moment number two for you? Uh, might be Nair penalties. Hmm. Might be Lynn Williams goes off. Um, might be Barbara Banda. Might be... Uh, I don't know. Probably something Marta related. <laughs> I mean, Marta scoring in her fifth Olympics. I think... Brazil was a real a real tough blow, but I did really enjoy that Brazil-Netherlands 3-3 game. I thought that was arguably one of the best games of the tournament. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I just I also, in terms of just the sheer goal scoring, <laughs> we, we got to watch and some of, I do not miss, I, I really have to say I deeply enjoyed only having to watch one game at a time. But on the flip side... There was something as chaotic and annoying and frustrating as it was to have multiple games popping off at the same time and just be like, essentially having like the force of women's soccer, like punching us in the face over and over again at, you know, five o'clock in the morning. It was absurd, but also to some extent it was kind of like, look at where we are. Like despite everything holding back this game from being what it should be, you look at the performance of some of these players, some of these teams, mm-hmm. it's hard not to be like, this was fucking fun sometimes. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was also, you know, it was a lot to live through, but. Yeah, I left the house less, like, I can count on the, my hand the number of times I actually left the house during the Olympics, just because the schedule was so fakakta and and flipped around and i was like sleeping where i could it it was just you know how they say that people who give birth they forget the true pain of it or else they would never ever do it again yeah i feel like i'm already forgetting the true pain of this tournament Um, and you're just like oh so we're going to australia in 2023 right like (laughs) at least we'll go to australia in 2023 and it won't be this weird gross like i have to function on u.s time but also i have to be on japan time as well for part of the day that that was truly it (laughs) 
Although I can't it, it say, like... It was truly a mental struggle. Yes. I lost so many days. You're talking about a group, and I'm like, what are you talking about? That was a month ago. <laughs> it was not. It was not a month ago. Yeah. I mean, it was really funny. I just remember... So, after we came back from France in 2019, my first work trip after that was actually going to Orlando for the MLS All-Star Game. As part of, like, our athletic... We usually have, like, a once-a-year meeting... And first of all, I was very mad about having to go to an MLS function, right? But I remember we were having, like, a party in our Airbnb, and I was sitting down next to Brooks, our editor, and he was looking at me, and he was like, so do you want to go to the Olympics? And this is, like, a month after, and I think we came we came back from France 2019, and we felt very done. <laughs> like, that was also its own level of stress and exhaustion and enjoyment and amazingness, and, like, there were... It, it had it all it had it all we survived a lot and I just remember like I think I was on like beer number four in this hotel in, or- in this Airbnb in Orlando and he's like what'd you do Japan I was like and it's the exact thing like I had forgotten all of the bad parts and I just wanted the good parts again I was like yeah I, w- I, w- I would go to Tokyo yeah like I want to do it again and that's now already where I'm at of just like I'm already like crawling out of my skin with excitement of going to Australia and New Zealand for 2023 I have no idea what it's gonna look like and how we're gonna do it but I'm just like okay are we going is it time I think there is something to be said about going somewhere where you speak a language and you can get around a little easier um I can't imagine how hard it was I have some rudimentary French I can kind of stumble my way through a conversation so I was mostly but I wasn't fine. Yeah, I certainly France. was not fine. Yeah. It, it, it's, it really worked my brain every single day, literally just trying to read stuff all day long that was not in, in English. And it, like, it reminds me of um, if you ever watch videos about translators who have to translate in real time, they're like, yeah, you got to switch these guys out very quickly because trying to do two languages at once in your brain for some reason for most people, it's the most taxing mental thing that you can do and like people will collapse from exhaustion from having to translate for too long and so I could feel it I could literally feel my brain like relax whenever I would get home and like things would be in English again and we could Um, eat vegetables again yeah 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 yeah, exactly (laughs) um and I think you can't discount like that kind of low level discomfort that you're always in and honestly it actually gave me such a huge appreciation for my parents who were immigrants and they came here and like those early days especially they both spoke English when they immigrated because I think they learned it in school but they weren't necessarily super fluent in it and they just I was like oh if after a month I was that tired Mm -hmm. how tired were my parents you know for for years yeah so all right well we I'm sure there's still a lot of things to be written about the Olympics, I think, especially from a U.S. women's national team point of view. But today, at least, you get to sign off from this pod and you get to go celebrate Canada. So, congrats. I'm going to put on this little Canada hat that I have here. And I put on my little Canada scarf. I do enjoy, again, podcasts, so it's not super clear, but Steph just put her Canada hat over her headphones. It's a real look, so. <laughs> all right, Steph, thank you for being the go-to here for all of our Olympic days. And, you know, I'll talk to you in, like, two minutes, so. 
Thanks for tuning in to our Olympic coverage here at Full Time with Meg Linehan. It has truly been a ride of balancing articles, headlines, podcasts, social media, all of the late night press conferences and early morning kickoffs with all of those challenges of remotely covering a tournament while everything else kept happening. You can support our women's soccer coverage by subscribing at theathletic.com slash full time. Full time doesn't exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. Thanks again to John Hayes for stepping in while Michael enjoys a well-earned vacation. I'm Meg. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.